the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Planted with Sarah Pyan. I'm Sarah Pyan, your host, and today our guest is Dr. Bridget Cole Williams. She is a compassionate, knowledgeable medical cannabis specialist, and she operates an integrative practice with services in Ohio and Michigan. She is also the author of the best-selling book series, Courage and Cannabis. I'm really excited to have her in today. We have so much to talk about. Dr. Bridget, welcome to the show. Absolutely. Thank you, Sarah. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. So first question I always like to ask all of my guests, what was your first cannabis experience? Gosh, I think I became aware of it, I think is probably the best way to say it. Um, I, my best friend, um, her cousin was about five years older than us. And so I grew up around, you know, my best friend and her family and this girl always smelled of weed. (laughs) Always. And she was a wild child. That's just how we knew her. She was kind of unpredictable in her behavior and what she would do. And, you know, there was no boundaries. And so I grew up thinking, yeah, weed is bad. Like it it was her, her behavior was uncomfortable right? Mm-hmm. So I grew up in the space where being around her, I had this very odd, I think is probably the best way to say it, a very odd impression. And that was all I needed, to be honest. And it was many, many years later, and that, that really stuck with me. Many years later, as I obviously gained medical knowledge Um, with my career and then years after that gaining cannabis knowledge with the work that I do I called my best friend one day and I asked her um did you ever try cannabis at all I mean we've literally gone to the same schools got married at the same you know all the way through life together and she was like no no my cousin scared the hell out of me and I was like yeah okay so it was mutual and I said (laughs) I was like, you know what? Um, I I don't think that's weed. I now feel like maybe your cousin was bipolar. And she was like, you know what? She just got diagnosed a few years ago. And so she got diagnosed in her late 40s. Oh, wow. So here was this girl. And I had so much compassion. Because I was like, here was this young girl who literally was just trying to normalize where no one saw her behavior as a treatable diagnosis, but that she was just a crazy girl, you know? And she was probably doing everything she could to be able to balance along with the rest of us. And it made me look at cannabis totally differently and just about who the recreational patient is totally differently because I realized our rec patients are not always recreational. Sometimes they are treating major issues without knowing it. So, yeah, self medication is real. That's, I, I think, mm-hmm. you know, we all know somebody who, or we, and we may not even know it, who's, who struggles with that because, mm-hmm. I mean, as human beings, I think on a, a subconscious level, even we're all striving for homeostasis, even if our, our thermostats are a bit off, right? Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. So what got you into your work as a physician with cannabis? 
So, you know, I was a psych major in undergrad. So I went to University of Michigan. I, and I've been obsessed with how the mind works and emotion and imbalancing since, gosh, I was very young. Like I used to steal my mom's psychology magazine, which is probably not what normal kids do. It's an awesome so, thing, though. <laughs> so um, so I, without a doubt, knew very young, I would go and become a psychologist. And because my dad uh, had cancer when, when I was young, I went from psychology and realizing there was this deficit of humanity in medicine. I went from going to becoming a psychologist to becoming a physician. Because I wanted, you know, in my idealistic mind, I wanted to change medicine. And um, so you can imagine, I become a family physician, I get into practicing, and was frustrated. And my patients are frustrated. For every diagnosis, there's a pill. The minute the, the, the uh, visits are 7 to 15 minutes long, and they all were looking for something different. I started putting patients on my lunch hour and at the very end of the day. And then um, one of those patients who was a breast cancer survivor and a brand new diabetic asked for, um, you know, asked if cannabis was an option. You know, she was trying to get off of her medications. And so um, I wanted to help her. And at first I thought she was nuts. And I said, yeah, cannabis is not an option. What are we talking about? I started doing some research and found all this medical information. I realized that she was much more knowledgeable and had much more exposure than I did because keep in mind, I still had this idea of my friend's cousin and in the back of my mind. And so I told her, you know, I was like, you know, I'm seeing something much different than I ever expected. I will support you. So she started creating edibles and smoking. I started doing research on titration and dosing schedule. And I saw her health transform very differently than my pharmaceutical patients. And from there, I knew that this was something that I wanted to explore and, nor and make it a normal part of medicine. Um, so that started in my early part of my career when it became, keep in mind, everything we were doing slightly illegal at the time. So um, when it became legal in Ohio, I knew that I didn't want to just join a card company and dull out cards for no reason, but create something that was much more medicinally minded. So where we do treatment plans and follow up and really help some of our sickest patients find their way in the cannabis space. I think that that's great. It's um as as a as a cancer survivor myself uh, that's how i got into medicinal use cuz like you i was like well okay medicinal use like you know people would say you know jokingly say they were smoking for their glaucoma with a wink mm -hmm. you know right um mm -hmm. and you don't you don't see it until you you see it till you see somebody who's affected by it and, it, mm -hmm. you know, I'm so glad that there's the access for, you know, the doctors who are giving the cards. But unlike you, a lot of them really don't understand how this is working. Because when I I left, I left my, my work in civil rights after cancer to work in a dispensary and go back to school. Mm -hmm. And when I would go and get my card, because you had to also, I was not only a patient, but you had to have a recommendation to be able to work in a dispensary in California. Uh, mm -hmm. And one of the um, the physicians that I would see would always, 
pumped me for information so that he'd have things to tell people because he's coming from a good place, but he didn't really understand what he was giving cards for. Mm -hmm. And I just remember, you know, I come from a family of, of healthcare professionals. My mom did the clinical trials on the, on the chemotherapy regimen that I ended up taking. And he mm -hmm. was, he was giving me some advice on my colon cancer. And I was like, Bob, you're, you're a, you're a plastic surgeon for hands. You can't tell me this stuff. <laughs> you know, it's like it was the the I felt like he was coming from a good place. But we really mm -hmm. need more physicians like you that are taking the time to do the research and, and work with patients and really understand what's going on. Because there are still a lot of doctors even today in this era of legalization that are that are afraid to have those conversations. I love the fact that, you know, 12 years out, my oncologist still wants to have the conversations. And she's like, I, I mm -hmm. want to learn to help my patients going through this because it is confusing. And we're not having those conversations about titration like we mm -hmm. should be, you know. Right. No, I agree. And if anything, we have a responsibility. I don't, you know, I don't expect every physician to be, completely um, responsible for uh, utilizing this with all of their patients. Right. What I do expect is that they can recognize when this is a good idea for their patients. So I am not a neurologist, yet I am I'm responsible for the information and I know medicine well enough to when my patient needs a neurologist. And so I feel like cannabis fits into that same realm that not, a, not all physicians are going to be up to date, nor should they, on the best ways to utilize cannabis and in what modalities and what form and what have you. But they should be able to recognize when their patient could benefit from a consultation. And um, we that's where we really need the most growth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I always tell people that I work with that if they're using cannabis, you know, they should really have the conversations with their doctors to let them know. Because, you know, when in the past, I, I when I was the head of education for a chain of dispensaries, I used to do and, and I still do from time to time educational sessions for doctors, nurses and pharmacology students. And the thing that I always hear back from physicians is they want to know what their patients are taking. They want to hear the responses because not only does it teach them, but it also helps them help their other patients as well. And then we also have to be really cognizant of, of drug interactions, especially with things like cytochrome P450 and CBD. Mm -hmm. And well, it keeps people safe. Yes. Yeah. And, and then it honestly, it allows us to create the space for more research. You know, the more we take this seriously, we've missed the boat on something that is revolutionary. And, um, well, the medical community and the research community obviously can catch up, but the fact of the matter is, I feel like they are, if it goes into the same model that my patients are already frustrated with and some of my colleagues, I feel in, in my ideal you know, perfect world, I really see an opportunity to create a medical space with cannabis as part of the focus in a way that patients get the services that they're looking for in the way that they're seeking and creating a medical model that 
not only can cannabis transform so much in medicine, but we should utilize this opportunity to transform the medical model as well. Um, because so many people are leaving traditional medicine in droves. Um, I think uh, over 30% of people are looking for some other form of um, health and wellness outside of the traditional model. Um, we should be taking advantage of this as an opportunity and not honestly throwing it right back into the hands of the pharmaceutical companies that patients are running away from. You're so right. You're so right. It, it's for a lot of a lot of patients. It's they're they're fed up, and for some, mm -hmm. it's it's a political decision to turn to cannabis because big pharma's mm -hmm. hasn't done anything for them. Mm -hmm. And when we look at you know the traditional physician visits, those can be incredibly frustrating. Which, oh gosh, I've had some amazing physicians in my time that have had their hands tied because of. You know, the, the constraints of working with insurance and having to have so many people yeah. in in the day. How do you how do you connect with your patients and be able to to thoroughly help them when when you're running on a really tight schedule? That was like with my cancer. My doctor told me I had IBS and it mm -hmm. wasn't until I got a second opinion. Um, and it was my my first physician, the gastroenterologist I saw was a much older male and then I went and I actually saw somebody who was female and closer to my age. And she was like, weird question, Sarah. Wouldn't normally say this because you're in your 30s. But would you be OK with getting a colonoscopy? And I was like, please, let's do this. Where the other guy was you know, lovely person, but really in protocols. And was like, I'll see you when you're 50. Right. Right. Well, the thing is that there's an art to medicine that no one even even acknowledges anymore. Um, because everyone is more concerned about evidence-based medicine. And don't get me wrong, I'm very much into evidence-based medicine, but the art of medicine is still necessary to treat every individual, right? So right. if you get off of the protocol and actually stop and look at the person in front of you, everyone is not going to fit into your algorithm. And it is, that is what patients are looking for. They're looking for the person that sees the person in front of them and not just another patient or number. Um, actually, the, um, I had forgotten about this, but the, in the first book, our forward made mention of me and, and stated that I've never met a patient, you know, that I have people. <laughs> not patients that I treat because for me it's I know the difficulties I've had for myself and my own family and I want people to feel seen and I think that is what's missing in our current model yeah that's that's so true that is so true I think what you're saying just it, it's it seems like in so many ways cannabis is a great way to to look at that model and to have the critical thought and to take the time mm -hmm. and it's you know because when we look at like it seems like these days a lot of times when we're looking at medicine it's not so much preventative but it's just putting out fires mm -hmm. yes and then passing it on to the next person to manage it and then they're putting out their fire and um unfortunately so many people in our country go to the emergency room for their primary health care 
But the responsibility of the emergency room is literally just to put out the fire and not provide prevent, you know, preventive medicine. And which leads to ultimately a sick country. And we, so when I look at what cannabis can be part of the dialogue that allows us to turn and go into another direction and actually say to our patients, what do you actually want? And what do you actually need? And then looking at our healthcare providers that are interested in seeing human beings and saying, what works for you even as a practitioner, you know, and what do you need to be able to give the highest quality care? That is not what's in place right now. And unfortunately, you have a lot of miserable physicians, a lot. And, but they're too trapped to be able to do anything about it. And so, like I said, in my idealistic mind, I would love for cannabis to be the catalyst for real change as far as healthcare. That would be amazing. I, I, I can't tell you how many great doctors I've had in the past that it's like you get to know them and it's not that they share this, but as you've been <laughs> seeing them through the years where you can actually see the burnout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and we yeah. we need all these great doctors. We don't have enough and especially with what everybody went through with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I I just can't even imagine being uh, in the healthcare field in the past 3 years and coming out of it feeling, you know, warm and fuzzy and full of energy. Yeah. Absolutely. No. I I totally agree with you. And then what do they do? They leave. And like you said, the best people end up leaving. So, um so I, I hope this gets out and, and about and, and hopefully we can create some sort of change way beyond just legalization, but um, opportunity for real change in healthcare. That would be amazing. As you were yeah. mentioning with the book that there, there was, a, that you had another volume before this most recent, how many volumes of the book have you had? And how did actually, let, let me back it up. How did you decide to do the Courage in Cannabis book series? Jeez. Uh, <laughs> so there are two volumes right now. Um, the first one was launched December of 2021. And obviously we just launched volume two of, uh, I don't even know, um, end of July. So just last week, two weeks ago um, of 2023. And it really is... Uh, I was highly influenced growing up by Chicken Soup for the Soul. I used to love this series of books where you could take a short story written in an inspirational manner, and it just kind of made you feel good for the day, you know? And um, though that was not my motivation in starting the series, it definitely has had influence as the series continues. And so... Uh, when I first started providing medical cards um, at the end of 2018, some of those first patients, um, you know, I'm handing over their card to them. And I remember, I remember a lot of different pieces, but this one in particular was this big kind of burly truck driver guy and I'm handing his card over to him and he has tears in his eyes and then running down his face. And I'm like, what? You know, I don't even know what this is, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I said, well, what's going on? And he takes the card and is really shaking it in front of me. 
and he says, I'm taking this home to my 10-year-old son. I need him to know that I'm not just a pothead, but I'm a patient. And in that moment, you know, with being in a new program in Ohio, people were talking about we should have home grow and the prices of cannabis and the social equity and availability and all these political aspects. And then I was like, gosh, this right here, no one's talking about. And then I had another, I had a woman come in and same scenario. And she takes the card and she's like, I'm taking this card and I'm going back to church. Cause she felt ostracized and that she felt guilty because she had been using cannabis for her anxiety for years and felt like there's no place for her in her church community. And then for these people and so many more to come back and share how it actually was helping them. I knew that these were stories that I wanted to document. I knew that they were important historically as well as to share another aspect of what was going on um, in this revolution really that's going across the country. Um, I also knew that, you know, I'm originally from Michigan and, and I also saw that as states become recreational, that the can, the medical stories dissipate mm-hmm. and utilize all these stories and with legislation and look how important it is and the, the medical possibilities for it. And it's so important that we have this. And then we develop the medical program and you start hearing stories, you know, coming around. And then when recreational hits, it's silence, silence. The stories are gone. The cultivators and the processors start to make less and less cannabinoid balanced products in flour and go more for the higher THC because that's what sells. And the medical patient becomes, now the medical patient is ostracized. Um, they can't find necessarily things that would really work well for them, or they turn into a more recreational user and focus more on higher THC items because that's what they can get access to. And so I wanted to write stories that really document the patient experience. But not only that, both books are a mix of entrepreneurs, educators, patients and caregivers, growers, legacy market, the corporate side of cannabis, as much as it was, you know, the, you know, the home grow legacy market as well. And I wanted to have this variety because I met people every day that were in different phases of their experience in the cannabis um, experience. And uh, they were looking for some level of validation. And I wanted the, the book to offer that to them. It, that's and that's so important because in, as much as people who are working in the legal market may find it exhausting to have those conversations, I'm not sure why, but it just seems like when we start to legalize for adult use, they think that medicinal use is just too much work. But mm. we can't we can't forget that. I mean, that's this and i hate the word industry because it we started mm-hmm. as a movement and there the movement still exists everybody out there mm-hmm. the movement still exists it does and we did this on the backs of patients and nobody has stopped needing that therapy and 
And honestly, if we're just concentrating on high THC models, the people who are using it that think they're using it recreationally, they probably need something different too. It's a really lazy, greedy way to look at it. And it makes me incredibly angry to think about mm. the shortcuts that are being done out. And that's that's a replication of the way industry shouldn't be done. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That we're, we're really missing the boat. And here, like I sit here and I'm like, there's this amazing opportunity sitting in front of all of us to change just wellness, period. Just to change wellness. And to take advantage of that just for greed and and it doesn't you can still create the ITHC products, but the focus of what cannabis really is should not get lost. And it does, unfortunately. And um so the book was an opportunity to document a variety of stories and that, you know, I when I first started getting into the space. You know, sometimes people would say, hey, you should come down to the courthouse and we're picketing or we're doing this. Or we're do and I was still consumed with my, at that point, my regular medical practice, let alone the cannabis practice I was building. And I just felt guilty that I didn't have time to go down to the state house. And then a friend of mine mentioned, we're all activists in our own lane. Mm -hmm. Whether you're at the state house or you're seeing patients, like everyone that has chosen to be in the space, um, it's taking courage for them to step into this role. And so it's not just one aspect. And so that was another reason why, number one, why it's called Courage in Cannabis, because no matter what, what role you've taken, um, it's taking courage to step out and be in that space. And, and to be vocal and open about it. Yeah, yeah. And we need all sorts of different avenues to communicate with people because not every there are people who will see the impact of, of people going down to City Hall, but there is a much larger audience that we need to be reaching and normalizing cannabis use. And it, as we get into more of the legalization efforts, people think, oh, there's nothing to fight for yet. But misinformation still exists. I'm sure you've seen some of these lovely articles that are coming out with just the fear mongering. And it's, you know, we have to have the conversation that not everybody tolerates phytocannabinoids, but we also mm -hmm. have to let people know that's okay. There doesn't need to be fear mongering around that. Absolutely. And, the, and that's the thing. We come from the best fear campaign I think there's been because it is long lasting. You know, um, there's no better way to influence people than by fear. And the whole reefer madness concept has, the people that created it have long been gone, but the fear that it created still exists. And so we, by trying to create more fear in this space for whatever reason is absolutely irresponsible because there's incredible information that we're missing and that has been hidden and it was hidden for me, um, that if we could actually put it to use, we can make real change. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, and that's part of the thing for me as a, an educator is unpacking for people how we got where we are and, mm -hmm. and the fact that it didn't have to do with 
politicians concerned about our health. You know, it had it had to do with greed and racism and power. And we we see today how that works in other areas of policy. When we it's so it's also a call to react and and respond to this and not let people get away with manipulating facts to manipulate people and to cause harm. I just remember, I too am from Michigan. Where are you from in Michigan? I'm from Detroit originally. Okay, I'm a youper. (laughs) I don't hear though i don't hear the accent no well i every so often i have a word that makes my husband laugh but if you talk to anyone in my family (laughs) it's there it's funny funny. so i went to michigan state for um, medical school and we have a campus in the upper peninsula so oh was it at nmu um it's michigan state so i'm not really sure because I know a good friend of mine who's a GP now, she she went to Michigan State for school, but she did she came back home to Northern to do some stuff, but she was still a student of state. I was, okay. I wonder if that's it. Yeah, it's it's I've been in California now for over 20 years, so I think a, a lot of my my accent is gone, but I, I remember back in the day like having friends that almost went to jail for over just resin in their pipes in Michigan. And it's so different now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there was a camp out at my home t- in my hometown. And I believe that there were even like some, some famous musicians that even played. And I was like, this is like very different than going out in the middle of the woods and smoking and hoping you don't run into anybody. <laughs> very different. <laughs> very different. Yeah. And I mean, that. I mean, it's a it, it takes all of those little experiences to add up to change. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I'm I'm hoping that the book provides, you know, because the fact of the matter is when we created the series, it was really meant to help people who um, may just don't understand why their niece or nephew might be utilizing this. And to put really a normal, everyday neighborly face on cannabis use. So for every chapter, you see the picture of the person that wrote it. And you're actually able to reach out to them as well. And so um, we wanted to have the book in the hands of churchgoers. And we have, you know, a number of stories how people battled feelings of their faith um, around cannabis use. We wanted the book to be in the hands of legislators to be able to share um, and understand because a lot of times they're making decisions and they really don't have a solid understanding of why they're making decisions they're making. And of course it's gotten in the hands of celebrities over time that wanted to either share their story with us in volume two or to be able to spread the word of how important this is in a, um, you know, connected and, and reasonable normalizing manner. That's it. That's it. Conversation is normalization. And I I was looking and seeing all the amazing people that you have in this volume, one of them being our our, our mutual dear friend, Nikki Lolly, who, you know, I mean, if that doesn't show something, if that doesn't normalize it for someone, get them to understand like Nikki's story, I don't know what would. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. No, when I started putting together this volume, I knew 
that she was a really important piece because she has that background of being in healthcare, of really, like many of the people, you know, was not interested in cannabis at all. Right. But literally was life saving for her. And so, um, and I hope, what I hope with everyone that's able, that's been in the book, you know, both of the volumes, that they're able to u- utilize it as a tool for conversation, um, use it as a catalyst for change for the people that they encounter. And I hope I'm providing a platform that allows people to connect um, and with, you know, a great variety of stories, there's something for everybody in there. So, you know, everyone's, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I want to write a book. It's, it's no small feat to create, to write 200 and some patients all on your own, pages, you know, all on your own. Um, but to come together and have the support, not just of other stories, but Courage and Canvas is a community. And I say that very specifically that I didn't want to create a networking group. This is not where you submit your story and I publish it. We meet monthly. They get to know each other. They do podcasts and book signings together. And um, it was very important that they we create a community that we can find out how we can help each other. And as we do more books, obviously that community grows. And so that's very exciting. That is exciting. It's, it's exciting to see community. It's, there, are, there are so many different personalities that are, that are involved in cannabis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are, I've met some of the most wonderful, caring people that share their stories or and or and sometimes both like really work to help spread the word and help patients and really normalize and it's I think it's important for us to remember why we're here because sometimes I think there's the other side of it where people get caught up in in competition and ego around it but that's not Um, what this is about yeah that people definitely lose their way um in the green rush idea of this all and um which is unfortunate because it's distracting to really the good that we can do um people get distracted i think sometimes by the money they believe they can make and as we said earlier on on the backs of medical patients you know when I've had people come to me and physicians even come to me and say, what are we supposed to do with these cannabis patients? And, you know, how do I, how am I supposed to manage them? And, or people say, you know, you're just trying to help people get high. And, and my response to the doctors is that you've always had cannabis patients. Always. We're just now able to talk about it. And in talking about it, we should be willing to help. And for the people that, don't see the medicinal side of this at all and just think this is just an excuse for people to get high. I always say I have sick patients. Mm -hmm. I have sick patients. And particularly on the way that I built my practice, most of my patients are over 60. A great many of them have cancer or some really terminal issues and they're desperate for help. And I think that person gets lost. Um, Their story is forgotten. And I'm hoping that the book 
gives opportunities for people to reconnect about why we really do this in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. And, and having the conversations about, you know, we, we look at things, whether we like it or not, through a lens of institutionalization, right? Mm -hmm. And so we think, you know, it's like, oh, everything that comes from big pharma is going to be okay. The other night I was watching TV with my husband and it's like that long list of like things that can happen, you know, afterwards. I'm like, did you notice all the different side effects that were listed that like are all different parts of the body for this one drug that's supposed to affect your lungs? And I was like, <laughs> oh my God. But, you know, we, we have people who are able to lessen or forego the use of opiates. The other year, mm -hmm. how many years ago was it that they had that research that came out about the use of, of benzos and dementia later in life? A lot of people don't have to use benzodiazepines anymore. They can use, you know, CBD or CBG to help and they aren't, they aren't having to worry about the, those kind of effects on their mentation because as we know, a lot of us already are pre-baked with you know, the possibility of dementia, it, it's on both mm -hmm. sides of my mom's family. So I'm just waiting. <laughs> you know? yeah. Why yeah. throw something else into the mix? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the, the possibilities, if we could just take the time and learn more about it, um, we can really, I think, get away from a lot of different healthcare issues. Um, and, but we have to get into a place where we can at least, like you said, have a decent conversation and, and not let, you know, the reason why we have refer madness in the first place is because cannabis was a threat mm -hmm. and we need to get away from the concept that it's a threat to industry, healthcare industry, and allow it to be a tool that can change people's you know, wellness. And, and I know that that's, in, you know, on the forefront, you know, pharmaceutical companies are not only getting synthetic versions of cannabis and cannabinoids, but they're also using plant-based cannabinoids to create, you know, more traditional pharmaceutical appearing substances that for some people, that is probably the only way that they'll ever give this a try. But the same doctors that were kicking patients out of their practice for using cannabis will now say, hey, I got this new med that might really help you, and it'll be a cannabis product. And I feel like that is, you know, I, if anything, one of my, I had, I had a moment of enlightenment when I realized I was taught very carefully that cannabis was bad, and I saw the benefits for a patient that otherwise would not have done nearly as well. And it made me look at everything else that I told that I had been told had no medicinal value and really looked at it differently. And if anything, I hope that there's a lesson here that we need to be independent thinkers, that our patients are hoping that we're independent thinkers and that we're not just following protocols and, and repeating what others have told us as physicians, but we're actually the scientists and the caregivers for people that we were originally trained to be. And that cannabis is an option that if we, if we stick to just, you know, the rule book, no, you would never suggest it to a patient. 
But hopefully you realize there's a lot of things that have been kept from us, not because of safety or what have you, but because it's a threat to the pharmaceutical industry. And we need to change that. They, they should not have that level of power over health and wellness. Yeah, it should be a call to be looking at integrated health. Like what, mm-hmm. what can we do? I mean, it, but you, I mean, Bridget, we've seen this before too, even with the way midwives are treated in the past, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and really looking at the fact that it, it doesn't have to be a threat to big pharma. It, it's definitely not a threat to the medical profession. If anything, it enriches it. It's just like when we, we see these policies in states where they're, they don't want to allow cultivation. And I'm like, listen, man, I could I could grow my own tomatoes, but you don't see me doing it. It's it's not a threat to you. But somebody will like to do that. And in the case of like when we're looking at like veterans that are dealing with PTSD, it's actually highly therapeutic to get their hands in the soil and to feel empowered by growing their own medicine. It's crazy. Yeah. Now I will tell you, um, me growing tomatoes will is never going to be a threat to Del Monte or <laughs> or whoever company is growing it in mass. It will never be a threat. And even if I grow, I have a great crop. I wouldn't. I'd be lucky to, you know, feed myself and maybe a couple of friends and family members. But it's not going to shut down. The tomato industry, it just won't. And people that are much greater cultivators than I am, I'm sure even with their input, it's not going to shut down these companies. And that's really what the the, the assumed threat is, right? Um, that, you know, I had a guy say to me just the other day that, well, if we allow home grow, we're basically feeding the illicit market. And I was like, well, the assumption is, is that there are actually some people that find it to be a craft and an art and really don't want to sell to anybody. They might give some to their neighbor, they, but they really just want to use it for themselves. And they like the process of growing and creating their own harvest. Yeah. There are going to be some people that are like, wow, I could be doing tons with this and you know, what have you. But the majority of people just want to be able to have the right to grow their own for themselves and for when their friend comes over and that's it. You know, I don't think nearly home grow is as big of a threat as people think it is. Oh, no. If anybody is, you know, growing for the traditional market, they're doing it with or without permission. And and that, mm-hmm. that's a whole other conversation because that's... Yeah. That's like, you know, with my policy work, I'm on the state advisory committee for for the state and we talk about, you know, the growing market, the growing illicit market. And the biggest issue with that is what we discussed even before 64 was passed was that we need to create ease of entry and we need to not Mm -hmm. overtax people. We need to create better laws that our support people being able to enter the market and we won't have these issues because people by and large do not want to run around doing illegal things. Mm -hmm. They'd they'd rather have a a comfortable living in a viable business. But if we don't give people the opportunities, if we create these roadblocks that are really not rational, because when we look at cannabis policy, all common sense and (laughs) I might add, you know, any sort of education on economics seems to go out the window because it's it's 
overshadowed by this stigma and the fact that who uses cannabis is that the the view is outdated, which is also another reason that your books are so incredibly important. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we're we're in a different we're def- definitely a different time and we have so many possibilities if we really you know dig in and and hopefully I'm hoping the book is a catalyst for some people. Yeah. And it And you I'm sorry, I keep interrupting you, Dr. Bridget. No, no. I don't mean to. <laughs> I just get so excited talking to you about this. But we, and you're in Ohio now, correct? Yes. So, and you, there were definitely some some issues with passing medical, because I remember back in the day, there was, when it was on the ballot, there was a, a one that didn't pass, which I was sad for for your state, but also happy because it seemed like it was going to be just a few people having control over the whole program. What are you, what are you seeing now? And what are you liking about it? And what do you feel like we need to do more work on? So um, Ohio's program is definitely one of the more conservative programs in the U S I'm definitely uh, let's make lemonade out of lemons person. So I try to look at it as with, the level of um, restrictions that we had that we were a model for a very safe program, okay? And in a program that grew gradually instead of kind of being overwhelmed right from the beginning. And sometimes, you know, like a place like Michigan that's kind of backtracking on some of the things that they've done and now trying to figure out how do they manage that, okay? So I try to see it that way, though I have to, and I'm, I'm trying to stick to that, I guess. <laughs> I, I'm not going to say, it's it's also a very frustrating program because some of the restrictions that they put in place, there are medical patients, believe it or not, that have never, don't even know that we have a medical program because it is so kind of underground to a certain extent. And um, that's not fair, you know, to patients. Um, sometimes the restrictions get in the way of providing good options. My, can- my cancer patients have a hard time getting um, RSO, getting um, FECO for, for their treatment. And even though it's out there, uh, sometimes they're restricted on how much they can buy at one time that because you know products kind of come and go and as far as a quantity they might go one place and they're able to get it but then when they go back you know they there's none and they can't get it again and so there's a lot of frustration in this area um that doesn't really isn't good for the medical patients specifically um like I said, in some ways, I like to think while well, we're setting up a model for easy, well thought out growth, but if there's no growth, then it's strictly a restrictive program. So, yeah, I can't even imagine going through chemotherapy and having to, I mean, even going across town to get something takes a lot out of you, but right. then, then you go there and you, you can't get what you need. Right. And I've had um, parents where their 
child has, you know, a seizure disorder and they found, you know, you know, the seizure disorders are so complicated and we finally find something that works and then they can't get it again. Like, you know, and it's a long time before they're able to get it again. I've had some dispensaries that have kind of appealed to these families and when the product comes in, they put five bottles of whatever tincture aside so that, um, and, and call them because they know that for that child, there's really not another option that's okay. And I think a lot of people just assume that um, weed is weed is weed and, you know, whatever products are all the same and, you know, what have you, and they're not, you know, there there's very specific formulations that are created for a lot of these products. And so when they're not available, it's an issue. Like even with the RSO, I look for RSO that is balanced because if we're talking about killing cancer cells, it's not just a THC thing. And to be able to find RSO that also has a fair amount of CBD in it is really, really hard. So products aren't necessarily made for the medical patient. They're made for what sells the best. And that frustrates me. Yeah. Yeah. That's really frustrating. And I think the thing that they're missing too is even from an adult use perspective, this, the CBD ratios are actually really important and we should be educating more people on the use. I, I can't tell you how many friends I have who enjoyed cannabis when they were younger and they're like, oh, the stuff now, it's mm-hmm. it's just too much for me. And I'm like, well, that's because when you smoked, there was actually naturally occurring CBD in the flowers that you were using and it's, right. it's been bred out. So, so try a one-to-one or try a two-to-one, see how mm-hmm. that feels for you. And they're like, Oh, this is what I remember. Yeah. You make a really good point that um, because the natural plant was much more balanced, but not only that, not only are, you know, I mean, we're incredibly creative people, of course. And so not only are the THC levels higher, but like you're buying flour with zero, zero CBD in it, right? So not only are, you know, were the original plants um, lower in THC, but they were more balanced with other cannabinoids. And we need to have that still available for people so that they can, people should be able to find what works best for their bodies and not have to, compromise that um for something that just is a quick sell and gets you really high and you know it it shouldn't be this complicated and it makes like the average new patient um they become frustrated easily and many times they drop out and that's honestly a big part of what we're seeing here in ohio i can i can see that for a little while they get frustrated and they just go back to their pharmaceuticals yeah, yeah. I, I I remember when I was in the dispensary, sometimes somebody behind the bar would need extra help and I'd go up and there'd be a patient who would have had a bag of everything they tried and they dumped it out mm-hmm. on the bar. And I say, well, what happened? And they just look really frustrated. And they're like, I don't know. All I know is that it didn't work. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, when we talk about creating a framework for experimentation 
and right. and tracking dosage and and really like monitoring how you feel. But you know, we're dealing with and, and I don't know how it is in Ohio, but I know in in other states we're dealing with a crisis with you know, companies folding or not making the sales that they need, but they're still having this this saying of, oh, it sells itself, and we don't need to have the conversations, and education isn't important. <laughs> We're in an adult use market. And, you know, if, if we wanted to look at it strategically through an industry lens, they're missing a lot of people who could actually happily and safely utilize this if we would have more conversations about the different modes of use and cannabinoids other than THC and they, they miss it. They, they just are stuck on the people who are chasing the THC percentages and wondering Mm -hmm. why they have such a small pool of people to deliver to. Absolutely. I totally agree. I totally agree. I'm just, Um, I'm so glad that, that you're here and you're reaching out to the public in so many important ways. No, no, I appreciate that. And honestly, I found my my tribe in the cannabis space, which is why I think I've been so vocal and tried to do whatever I can to push the needle um, because I met people that were trying to find their way and were open to new ideas. And that meant more to me than just more, and I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not anti-pharmaceutical. I feel like there are medications that are incredibly helpful for people, but I'm also pro-patient and pro-wellness. And I feel like there's a lot that we're missing. And so I found a opportunity to really connect with people in this space. So it means a lot to me. Well, what you just said there, I think is really important, not just about the connection in the community, but the fact is that cannabis is only one part of this. It's not a panacea. (laughs) We do need other pharmaceuticals to maintain our health. Absolutely. Yeah. No, we need to wipe. I mean, not only other, like whether it's pharmaceuticals or other plant-based medications, but there's so much that we're missing if we think this is, I do think cannabis is an amazing pharmacy all by itself, Mm -hmm. but it is not everything. And, um, I feel like cannabis is ushering in a new phase, if we do it correctly, of other plant-based medicines that can be used in its natural form or a step off from its natural form as far as you know, processing of tinctures and other pro- products. Um, that, and we don't necessarily need to have sometimes some of these medications that you, as you were saying, see on the TV and the adverse reactions and contraindications are so long who it's terrifying absolutely terrifying cannabis is seen as a last alternative and if anything when you look at those commercials i would say let's start with cannabis (laughs) and then if it doesn't work then let's look at some of these other more complex pharmaceuticals And I think that's the way a lot of people feel these days. And I think they're missing that, that when you list that it is a thousand bad things can happen to you in taking this med and wonder why people hesitate, 
you've missed the fact that that's not what people want. They just want to feel better and they don't want to feel worse to feel better. So let's start with cannabis and then take it from there. Yeah. Or, or alternatively have to take another pharmaceutical to offset the side effects of the medication of you're taking to begin with. I've done that so much in my career where literally I'm looking at a list of medications and I'm like, well, I started them on this one for this reason, but they had a problem. So I started at this to offset that. And then that one kind of caused the problem itself. So we're like, and I can just give you like the, thought process of all these meds and I'm like so you're five meds in and you still you originally only had one problem you know and that's insane that's insane so let's look at what we can do in a much more mindful way so that we can help people and you know I, I think there's stories in the book that I hope stimulate that idea for people as well. The one thing I will tell you that's different about this book is that in the back, we have an education section. And it's not so much, you know, Cannabis 101, but more like op-eds on different aspects of what cannabis is. So one is about the mind, body, and spirit of cannabis and from Uwe Blushing, who's an amazing, amazing author. I love And does research books, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And then um, mine is pr- probably quite obviously my chapter is the um, being medical in a recreational culture and how do we maintain the medical conversation. Another one is from Dion Lacey, who owns United Returning Citizens, which is an organization that helps former prisoners kind of realchemate to being outside of prison and really talks about the the role that cannabis plays in putting them in prison, but also how it helps their other issues coming out. And um, and then there's other uh, there's another doctor that shares why she's a cannabis physician, and and she was an OBGYN, um, Dr. Lynn Prodnick, and her story, and and there's many others that you know just a section of more op-eds about the topic that I hope also helps people gain insight into why we would write this type of book. Those are really important conversations to have. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. For people who want to uh, purchase your book and check it out, uh, how do they do that? So probably the easiest way, and let me say that Courage and Cannabis is a book series that's a part of a nonprofit, um, which is GHH Community Foundation, Growth, Harmony, and Happiness Community Foundation. So every purchase goes into the nonprofit to help offset the costs of the marketing and production and printing of the book um, so that you don't have to have money to participate um, in this project. And so you're able to go to Amazon and just do a search for Courage and Cannabis and you will find volume one as well as volume two. Um, Volume one is also available not only Amazon, but on Barnes and Nobles and Walmart and every small bookstore in America. And, um, and we also have an audio book. And so uh, we'll be doing the same with book two soon. So, but start with um, Amazon and Google us and you can learn more about our authors on courageandcannabis.com. And how will our listeners follow you on social media or, or reach out if, if they have 
questions or want to work with you? Absolutely. So um, we are on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok um, as Courage and Can, C-A-N-N, Courage and Can Books. Um, so if you look up Courage and Can Books, you will find us on all those platforms. Thank you so much, Dr. Bridget. I could, you're, you're just such a wealth of knowledge. I could, I could talk to you all day. I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me and, and talk about your work and your really important project with the books. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to checking out volume two. I just, you know, I, I can't say enough about how important it is to have professionals like you, especially you know, with your knowledge and your heart involved in this work on behalf of the patients. And, and you know, we really when we look at cannabis use, I know some people think that there is recreational medicinal, but every time we put something in our body, it creates a reaction, and it's a really important mm-hmm. conversation to have. It is very much so. Thank you so much. I'm excited to actually just talk to you, Sarah. So what a great opportunity. I know, me too. We had such <laughs> a brief time in New York and I was like, I we have to sit down and talk. And I, yeah. I'm really looking forward to our future conversations as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. And everyone remember, if you like listening, please Give us a review, share it with a friend, let us know what your favorite episodes are. And if you'd like to stay in touch over social media, we are Planted with Sarah Pion on Facebook and Planted with Sarah on Instagram and Twitter. You can also go to our website, www.plantedwithsarah.com, or listen to us on our parent network, Radio Misfits Network, where there are other great podcasts like one of my favorites, the Winemakers Podcast. So check it out. You can listen to Planted wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, whether that's Pandora, Spotify, Amazon, Google, Apple, Stitcher, tune in. We are there. So join us. And until next time, stay curious, stay safe. And remember, it's a wild world out there. Be good to one another. Until next time, take care. Take care.